Welcome to episode 156 of the Thunder Underground podcast. I'm Trent. This is Jason. And we're back for a second time this week. I know. We're busy. Yeah, this is actually the first time in a while we've done... We were on a good run there for a while. We're going to do two every week. Yeah, yeah. But we burned ourselves out, I guess. I don't know. But this week we're <laughs> back because there's a good reason. A damn good reason. And that would be one David Ellison. That's right. Is on this podcast today. Yeah, that's right. Megadeth bassist and uh, just up to all kinds of stuff. And we got him. So we're going to get to that here in just a bit. Talk some more about what David has going on. But first we're going to play some music. Why not? Our good buddies in Screaming Red Mutiny have a brand new single that just came out this past week. This song is called Iron Disposition.
Byron Disposition from Screaming Red Mutiny out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. What can you say about that? I um, mean, you know, it's a good, uh, a groove laden rocker, as they say. <laughs> um, you know, these guys, you know, it, it's just a, a slapping, slamming, all that stuff that starts with an S type kind of stuff. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's got a... Spectacular. Yeah, I mean, definitely spectacular. Um, these guys are, you know, I think getting some traction, and this is a great song. Uh, you know, super hooky chorus. Um, loving it. Yeah, yeah, I love that chorus. Sing along to the thing. The guitar work, you know, has that really cool riff. Yeah. All kinds of stuff going on here. Can't say enough good things about these guys. Got an EP out. Not this year. We're well, not 2017, but in 2016, that was fantastic as well. They should be having more music coming here this year. Yeah, they they, they got a video coming out. Um, yeah, for this track. Yeah, they they've shown up on some Spotify release radars, which is super cool. That's true. So I mean, this is great stuff. And they will be at Holada Fest, the De- second annual. Definitely. That's coming up February 9th and 10th. And for those of you listening that aren't familiar with the band Screaming Mutiny, a lot of fest is actually a celebration of the life of the original guitarist of Screaming Mutiny, John Halata. Yes. So if you're anywhere near Tulsa, if you're within driving distance, drive out here on those two days because the Shrine in Tulsa, two full days of music, tons of bands. We're going to be talking more about that here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But you can't. You can't not see this thing if you're in the area because it's just chock full of great shit and Steve Murdoch is a good person to thank for that. Get out there to a lot of fest. Get on Screaming Mutiny's Facebook. Follow them, like them, listen to them, buy their music. You know it. All right, well, we're going to mention this, that the lead singer of Cranberries yes. passed away. And originally I thought, we probably won't talk about this because I don't want to be one of those people that just try to talk about stuff every time someone passes away. Yeah, I mean... Because neither one of us, you know, I I like... I know, I think I know four Cranberry yeah, songs and yeah, I like I mean, them, but I don't, they're not, I'm not going to act like I love them now all of a sudden as well. Yeah, they're not really in this podcast's wheelhouse, but you know, there was a kind of a, a connecting story that I thought was interesting. That's right. Everybody that likes heavy stuff yeah. would sing along to Zombie because it's oh, yeah. fucking cool. Yeah, I know? mean, that is a great song, you know, no matter what. And I mean, it's obviously, it was a lot heavier than the other stuff they're known yeah. for, like Linger and Dreams. But with that being said, what's relevant here is that we've had Doc Coyle on this podcast, former member of God Forbid, now has a band called Bad Wolves. Yes. He was on episode 133 where he talked a lot about Bad Wolves, but that story came out the other day, right? At, you know, the day actually that they announced she passed away. Yeah. That was actually that day she was scheduled to go into the studio to record a remake of Zombie with Bad Wolves. Yeah. Yeah, she was uh, bad wolves in their statement they released. She she died hours before she was supposed to lay down the vocals. So I thought that was pretty haunting, pretty interesting. Yeah, so you got to wonder. Obviously, they'll still do it, probably yeah. as a tribute. Yeah, and you know they had a cover of it, and she liked it, and that's why she decided to be on it. And uh, you know, bad wolves is an up and coming. I think they're going to make some waves this year. So uh, yeah, you know, yeah, because they're on they're on several of the. Definitely, all the big big rock and metal festivals. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, check them out. They've already got music out. It's cool. Another thing that anytime I think of the Cranberries, 
one of the first things I think of is Faith No More and their cover of Zombie because it's just fucking phenomenal because Mike Patton is, you know, the greatest living human singer in the world. But I don't know that I've ever heard that. I'll have it's to not, check it out. It's not recorded. I mean, it's not a studio version. There's a live version that's done really well. You can just just go on YouTube. You'll find oh, one. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to check that out for yeah. sure. <laughs> well, you're, you're always going to find some way to, to... Six degrees of Mike Patton. To wedge Mike Patton in there, aren't you? Yeah. Mike you Patton do. or John Crabby yeah. or <laughs> something, you know. What else? We got anything else interesting to talk about? Oh, we probably got all kinds of stuff interesting. <laughs> well, how long you got? <laughs> we got all day, man. People listen to this podcast for eight hours straight. Longest episode ever. Here we go. Right. Now let's just play some more music. Yeah. We got this band called Locust Grove out of Oklahoma City. And this song is called Menace of Society.
Menace of Society from Locust Grove. That's from their Monster EP that came out in 2017. These guys out of Oklahoma City are just flat out slamming. Oh, yeah, man. There's another S for you. There you go. I mean, you know, th- this song is just, uh, you know, it's heavy. It's just swinging its balls everywhere. <laughs> uh, the solo is fucking insane. I really dig this song. What's cool about that solo is this whole song is just like your, your mid-tempo slamming, grooving, pounding, stomping yeah. fucking rocker. And then that solo comes in there and it's just like full on balls out yeah. shredding. Picks it up. Yeah, yeah just definitely. over the top of that. And it just, it works perfect. Yeah. And this band is just one that you got to see live. You know, when you see them, you love what they're doing even more because it's just so fun to watch. Intensity, oodles of intensity. And another connection here we can point out <laughs> is that we just played Screaming at Mutiny a little while ago. And last year at Rocklahoma, I saw Locust Grove and towards the end of their set, Sprout got up on stage with them and sang, did a cover of Bury Me in Smoke. Hell yeah. So that was pretty badass. We're all tying it together here. Yeah. Formerly of Anti-Mortem, yes. Zane Smith, the singer. Yes. So there's another connection to what I don't know. <laughs> Our last episode, we talked about Machine Head. I saw Annie Mortem open for Machine Head. There you go. Boom. Two degrees of Rob Flynn. A lot of degrees this episode. <laughs> okay, right. Not even over yet. Right. Well, speaking of degrees, coffee is really hot. And yes. you know who has coffee? David Elson there you of go. Megadeth. That's right. David Elson. Like I said, on this podcast, this is a pretty special one for, I know, both of us. Because yeah. as long as I can remember... Loving heavy music, we've liked Megadeth since we were, you know, late eighties. Oh yeah, into the early nineties, obviously. Hands down, I mean, this was this was pretty big. It was definitely an honor. Yes, and I, you know, I'll say way back beginning, I think I probably got into Megadeth because of you. Okay, yeah, just you know, because I, like anybody, knew Metallica because that they started, even though they weren't on the radio, they started making their rounds out here in the Midwest. Yeah. People had. You know, we got Justice for All, and then shortly after that, I know you started getting into other stuff, and I know I heard Rust in Peace through you, and that's kind of that's kind of where it began for me, I think, probably. Yeah. And then, obviously, everything from then on, and went backwards as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, like I told you um, earlier, you know, I just remember driving to Colgate in the back of my parents' car with my Walkman, listening to Dawn Patrol, and, right. you know, and then, you know, we're talking to that guy, so... Uh, it's kind of a full circle thing, and this is really cool. Um, Dave has got a lot going on right now. You know, he's got the EMP label group. He's got his own line of coffee. Um, you know, Combat Records, they're re- resurrecting that. Um, so, uh, you know, on top of, you know, the beginnings of, you know, some Megadeth stuff maybe for an album later this year. So, uh, you know, it was a great conversation. He had a lot to say. Yeah, just earlier this week they announced, well, they had already announced this magazine, but they released the cover of it. Yeah. And they're going to be debuting and handing them out here at NAM later this month. Yeah. And then it said you also get a copy with every purchase you make through EMP, like whether it be merchandise or music. It had him on the cover, but it also has stuff about Skid Row and Queensryche. Queensryche, yeah. I think probably Kill and everything. You know, a lot of stuff tied into the label as well. Yeah. But it's kind of a magazine that encompasses everything that he's got going on. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be awesome. And it's just cool to see how much, how many different sections this label's now going in. Yeah. That he mentions here in just a bit. 
Well, should, let's just quit talking and get into this. This is David Elfson of Megadeth. So we're pretty jealous of your weather right now. Yeah. For some reason, you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, when I saw thunder, I was like, it's been a while since we've connected on this. I was thinking, are they calling me from Australia? Is this like thunder down under? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, life's pretty good out here in Arizona right now. And uh, even better because my Vikings won yesterday. So. All right. Yeah, that was Things insane. are good. That was a pretty insane finish. <laughs> it was pretty cool, man. That was pretty cool. So, uh, Well, yeah, cool. just jumping right in. Late last year, you guys announced that Combat Records was coming back. Is this uh, something you had been thinking about for a while, or was it something you thought maybe we just needed a place for all the metal releases? Yeah, when we formed EMP Label Group, the reason I wanted to call it that was because I wanted to have it be just that, a group of labels that would be very individualized for the genre. Um, I liked, uh, you know, I, I saw other labels do that, in particular, a home for Megadeth for many years, Capitol Records. Um, uh, the sort of the mother company was EMI. EMI had releases, Capital had releases, they had Blue Note, which was their jazz uh, label. Um, and so I, I just liked that. I thought that would be fitting because it wouldn't pigeonhole the label into being a certain, you know, only one genre. So EMPs are more kind of general mainstream, um, you, know, uh, um, you know, label. And then EMP Underground is where we've been putting the death metal stuff. And so we just launched Outlaw Records, which is sort of our southern rock country, if you will, outlaw country thing that we're putting out, uh, Ron Keel, uh, putting out his, his uh, release through that. And then this combat thing, I mean, man, when that fell into place, I mean, we've had that now for about a year. And the reason we waited to launch it is, number one, we wanted to get the label up, up and running. But it was important that we launch it with the right artist uh, and artists, I should say. And, and one that came up um, about a year ago was Raven. And we, we knew we, we were going to have a chance to be able to release Raven record. Raven used to be in combat years ago. And also Hellstar, um, who we'd already put out a record uh, for them. But they used to be on, on combat. So... We strategically waited to announce it till just a couple of months ago, and then knowing we were going to be able to push out these new releases um, with Hellstar and Raven in 2018. And then also, you know, the goal, too, was to get um, new talent uh, as well. So, like, we've got this terrific uh, thrash group called Wrath out of Chicago. Um, we've got Mark Rizzo from Soulfly. His solo record is going to be coming out on Combat. So... It's nice to have some some new some new blood in the pipeline here as well. It seems like you guys have made tons of announcements in this past year as far as new artists that you're bringing on. Like, how big are you hoping to make this whole thing? You know, like everything, it just you take it a day at a time. You know, um, it's interesting in the business. You know, we knew pretty quickly on. I mean, again, we, I I formed the label essentially so I could continue to push out new Dalskin material. 
um, which is in, and then what I realized is like, okay, this could be a great home for me to be able to produce things and, and, and have my own outlet to push out records. Well, I quickly got busy and really didn't do too much more producing in these last, in these past couple of years, cause we're on tour with Megadeth, but suddenly Tom, you know, started, people were coming to him saying, Hey, I hear you're working on this label with Ellison and I've got, you know, a record I want you to hear. And, and so, I mean, the, man, the phones just lit up with, with artists and people that he'd worked with, um, back in the nineties and the early two thousands, people were looking for new record label home homes you know to put out their records and and we started to get also a lot of a lot of artists who had been on other other labels um at a different point in time in the record business where maybe they were you know throwing money at them and doing things and and you know um you know the record business has changed a lot and 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 we just said listen you know our model is that you know, uh, we uh, what we're doing is we're allowing P artists to, you know, record their own masters and then we'll just license them. And people started realizing that, you know, to just get a big check up front, while that can be nice, you're set, you're basically you become an indentured servant to your record label and you have to go pay that back. And it ties up your rights forever, really, you know, or at least until you can recoup it, which is almost impossible in today's record business. And also, um, we had some artists that had had some experiences with other labels where, you know, they kind of took the, they sort of took, you know, bit the carrot that was dangled in front of them of money and then the label didn't do anything. I mean, they didn't promote their record just kind of went dark and suddenly they're an artist trying to get some traction and do something and realizing, wow, we, we got some money, but like no one knows our record is out. It's not on the shelves. There's no videos. There's no promotion. So, you know, we realized with EMP that because we were thinking in a different mindset, we were thinking really about, you know, one of the things we're good at is is whipping up great press. We hire great radio people. We get a lot of our artists, most all of our artists hit some sort of radio charts, um, and in particular Autograph and and even uh, Mark Slaughter. I mean, have been hitting in the top 20, top 10 on Billboard. I mean, really making a dent, you know, which has really been helpful for them when it comes time to call the agent and start getting tour dates, you know, um, suddenly they're really back in the game again. And, and that to me is a much more practical solution as a record label to, to really kind of be a partner with these artists in helping get their careers, you know, kind of kickstarted and, and back up and running again. And to me, that's, that's a really cool place for me to be in my life. So are, are, are you directly choosing the artists yourself or do you have a team that helps you out? We have a team. I mean, Tom Tom Hazard is really the A and R ears for the label. In fact, I've sent a couple things to him, and he says, "Trust me, I got ten more that are ten times better." And he was <laughs> and he was right. And and you know, and it, and it also made me realize that you know, look, because there are costs involved in this, and you know, we negotiate. You know, who's paying for these? The label, um, but, you know, the artist. Sometimes it's a split, a little of both. You know, so there's some negotiations that go on in this kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we as a label also have to, um, you know, be, you know, we have to be wise in, in you know, the, 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 the money that we commit to and, you know, those kind of things. So, you know, as much as you'd like to just say, oh, you got an album, hey, I'll put your album out. You know, there are realities that, you know, in the record business, um, you know, you are there to try to sell records, you know, and, 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 and just as much as selling records also to 
you know, create publicity and interest and promotion for an artist. And, and those things cost money. I mean, there's real cost to that because you have to hire people to do those things. So, um, but you know, like for instance, we had one artist who was on, um, CD baby and, and actually had sold some records and made some money, but you know, that was about all it was going to do. I mean, they weren't going to get any tours they weren't going to really get any real publicity. And, um, we ended up putting the record out through EMP and, um, and sold, you know, a modest amount of records, but the publicity was huge on it. And all of a sudden that opened up the door for bigger shows and they ended up doing a U.S. tour and, you know, getting endorsements from proper music company, you know, instrument companies and amplifier companies and things. And suddenly it, it you know, it took things to a whole other level. So, um, you know, you kind of, it's, it's a business that you can't just focus only on the money. You can't focus only on the sales. You kind of have to look at the whole package and the whole picture of it. And, and you know, I think that's one thing that we do really well at EMP. Well, you mentioned doing it at this point in your career. What is it that made you decide that you wanted to do this originally? Well, you know, the Dollskin record that um, I had taken over to my friends at, at Megaforce, and we initially pushed out uh, an EP over there with a single um, and started to get some traction. And the phone lit up and agents were calling and people were interested. I mean, they're, they're the perfect kind of band for a young band, you know, because, you know, when you've got youth on your side, <laughs> you know, if you're a new band and, you know, youth is everything. You know, I get a lot of people who are you know, in their 30s, 40s, even 50s, you know, and they're like, man, we just, and, and sometimes they're really great bands. I mean, they're really good because their experience, you can hear it in their music and in their recordings, but you're like, man, you know, unless you can get out and, and tour and do that, and again, most people in the in middle age can't, you know, they've got families and jobs and real life, you know, so I mean, I've tried to help some of them, and we've actually, you know, been able to do that, and we actually have now a kind of a template set up to be able to help those bands, um, you know, to be able to, you know, to put some records out through EMP, which is, which I'm happy to do because that's, that's just kind of part of being a musician. And even if you know, you're not going to go play Madison Square Garden and be a rock star, if there is a satisfaction to being able to put your music out and for people to hear it, you know, that's, that's a, that's kind of part of what we do. But, you know, a young group like Dollskin, um, you know, they're, they're young and they're, they're you know, they're, they've, they've got the rest of their lives ahead of them. And it's the best time to get in the game and give it a shot. And, they're, and they work hard. They, they tour a lot. They, you know, they're, they're, they're rolling up their sleeves and they're doing all the same work that I did early on in my career. And as a result, it's, it's working, you know. And, and that's really what started this whole thing. Um, and, but, you know, we, you know, as Tom came to me, he said, he goes, look, you know, in order to have a label, um, you know, we're going to have to have real distributors. We're going to have to get some, some other artists and some, you know, in, in our pipeline, we can't just have like one band. So that, that's when he really got excited and got busy doing it. And, and it was, I've learned a lot working with, with Tom actually, um, as many records as I put out, as many record deals as I've had, I've always been over here on the artist side, and now being on the other side of it, um, I, I've really had I've had an appreciation for uh, the business of of you know selling records, uh, publicity, promotion, uh, because I also manage Dollskin. I uh, you know I've I've got a good sense of you know what the what the group needs and how to put that together, and I and I've always had great respect for. 
for great managers. You know, um, management is kind of the there's a lot of people behind the scenes, behind the stage that are the unsung heroes of <laughs> that of those of us that get to get on the stage and be famous rock stars. You know, there's a whole team of people behind it. And I've, I've really tried to take all those years of experience with that and pull that together and really put that on the front lines here with EMP. Switching gears for a second to Megadeth, you've played with quite a few drummers and throughout the years. Like, how easy is it for you to adapt to these? Because a lot of these guys have totally different styles from each other. Oh, gosh, totally. Yeah, especially as a bass player. You know, in fact, yeah. quite honestly, anymore, when I walk into any session at all, I pretty much, it, it my my saying yes or no to the gig usually depends on the drummer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, I, I've played in some bands where, you know, you, you just want to love it, and it's just, man, if the drummer's just not, not grooving or you're not grooving well with the drummer's, um, you know, it, it's a tough go, and it's and especially in metal. You know, and, and yeah, Megadeth, we've had some incredible drummers. Um, and and um, you know, Chris Adler, he was a lot of fun to play with when he you know did the initial um, you know tours on the Dystopia tour, and and then obviously he was you know we knew he was going to get busy with Lamb of God, so you know we knew uh, you know this the search for a permanent you know uh, drummer was going to happen. And I tell you, you know, Dirk. He had actually recommended Dirk, and um, and when Dirk came in, I mean, the first day he, he was initially just going to fill in on some some on a run of dates that Chris couldn't do, and and um, you know, kind of heading towards you know th this is probably going to be a you know kind of a permanent you know position kind of audition that we did with Dirk and. And and when he came in, I mean, Dirk was just like, man, great energy and. And, you know, he, he hits his snare. His snare is so loud. I mean, <laughs> we have to turn his snare down so much. I mean, even on a big stage like with Megadeth, you know, and that, that says a lot. I mean, there's there's a few guys that you can tell who they are by the sound of their snare drum. Kenny Aronoff is one. Alex Van Halen is another. Um, you know, so Dirk is one of those guys that, man, when he hits, he hits with conviction. And he's a real schooled, skilled drummer. He can pretty much play anything you throw at him. And it's just really, uh, it's, a, it's a real treat to be able to work with, with Dirk. So has uh, anything been written for the next album? You know, a bunch of stuff has. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the records, you know, Megadeth Records go through this process where everybody writes riffs and ideas and we start to scribble down thoughts and lyrics and kind of concepts of songs. And, you know, and then there comes this point where we start to throw it all into, a, into the pile and... Um, you know, Dave will ultimately give it, you know, a listen and, and see if it works with something that, that he's conceiving and conceptualizing. And, you know, once in a while you walk into something that'll just turn a whole different corner, um, which is fun. And other times you're just sort of collaborating into a, you know, an idea that Dave might have. But yeah, the, um, you know, this this lineup is, you know, because we spent so much time together on the road and, and really becoming a a team and becoming a band together has, has, you know, given a, a whole new energy and a whole new, you know, kind of new breath and new life into, into Megadeth, um, which is, which is really cool. It, it feels like we've arrived at being a band, not sort of just kind of getting from this record to the next record or from this tour to the next tour. I feel like we're really, you know, locked, locked together as a team right now. Speaking of the next record, I don't know how, much discussion's been had, but like, do you guys already know that Mustaine's going to produce it again like he did Dystopia? 
Yeah, I mean, look, what, what we did with Dystopia worked well, you know, and it's funny because there were several different producers that have, had, had come in on that record. And, um, and it's, you know, it, it's tough to be a producer to come into a band like Megadeth, especially this many years into our career, because we're very decisive. We're very decided on what we want, what works, what doesn't. I mean, Dave is the principal songwriter, of course, is going to be pretty sad in what 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 he knows he wants to hear and i mean there was i think on dystopia there was this mindset of you know let's just <clears throat> really step on the gas and go go to the wall with this one you know <clears throat> and really hold nothing back and turns out that's exactly what the fans wanted to hear so it's nice to know that um kind of the baseline of megadeth um you know has been has been reset, not bass guitar line, but just sort of the you know the foundation of Megadeth has been reset, and uh, and now that we now we know what it is, and um, so it's I think that that makes the journey into the next record just um, kind of a confidence about it that that's nice to have now. When you you look back at albums like Peace Cells, Rust in Peace, Countdown, like so many metal fans hold those in such high regard, did you? see that happening while you were going through those cycles or is that something you had to look back on later and realize i think it's more something we look back on later because you know when you're doing the record i mean even dystopia i mean as we were doing it i mean at one point dave even looked at me and he just said he goes look if they don't like this i'm out of ideas you know what i mean it's, <laughs> i mean because we were going through i mean some of these songs are like putting together math projects you know what i mean the different uh different combinations of notes that combine the riffs and 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 uh and it was it was fun, you know. It was very clever. It was fun. It was like doing you know, like Tetris, you know what I mean? Like the the different blocks falling into place, you know. So it was it was a, a really a, a fun process to do. But I think that's it, you know. You kind of leave it all on. You leave it all in the studio. You leave it all on the studio floor, you know. It's like you just throw everything you've got right there at it, and and um, and that's really, you know, quite honestly, that's what that's what peace cells was that's what rest in peace especially rest in peace was like that um you know peace cells is interesting because a lot of the songs on peace cells were were actually i mean really killing is my business in peace cells those songs were all kind of written in the same couple of years you know from 83 till 84 um a lot of those tunes were all kind of written in that period so it's just it's interesting that that you know, some of the tunes like Devil's Island, um, The Conjuring, you know, those were very, very early Megadeth songs. I mean, like some of the very first ones, mm -hmm. uh, especially Devil's Island. And that didn't end up making it, you know, on, on our album until album two, you know, in 1986, three years after the band had been formed and together. So, um, in fact, set the world afire, and so far it's a good sweat. That was the very first song Dave wrote after you know on the bus coming home from Metallica. <laughs> so it's you know it's yeah. funny that three albums later it finally it finally gets recorded. So you know some of these ideas that float around, um, you know, it's you know they just take what they take. You know, it's almost like an album. An album is really a collection of ideas whose time have finally come. Well, uh, I, I guess that. Just to wrap it up here, uh, over all the the bands and you know the labels and you know, books, which you know your book was great, by the way. Uh, is is there any uh, is there anything that you still want to do that you haven't done? You know that you got you have to tackle. Well, you know what? It's funny. I've got a I got a couple things coming out later this year that you're going to hear about shortly. That um, 
one in particular that uh, I'm I'm happy about. It's just something of something a little different um, with a friend of mine who you all know, and um, it's it'll be it'll be a fun thing. And it's just kind of just a you know just a moment on the side of everything else going on, and it'll just be kind of fun to pop that out. So I'll just leave it there because <laughs> nice. that'll. That, that'll parlay into al- to interview number two at some point later this year, I'm sure. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out to do this with us. You're welcome, you guys. Hey, stay warm over there in, uh, in uh, the Midwest, and um, I look forward to chatting with you guys again soon later in the year. All right. Thank you. See ya. Bye. There you go. Bassist and founding member of Megadeth, David Elfson. Thank you so much to Pamela from Elfson Coffee. And, of course, to David for taking the time out to talk to us here on the uh, podcast. Of course. Definitely a highlight for me. Super cool. And there you hear at the end that hopefully we'll have him back here later this year as well. I hope. Yeah. Well, if you're a Megadeth fan, way back at episode 71, we had Chris Broderick on. We yeah, talked go, about, yeah, go check that out. We talked about all the stuff he has going on now with Active Defiance, but he talked a bit about Megadeth as well. So that's a cool one to check out. And then, of course... We've got 155 previous episodes you can check out besides that. Other thrash guys we've had on, we had on Sid Falk from Overkill, and that was a two-parter episode because he gave us about three and a half hours worth of his time. Yeah, how lucky were we? Oh, yeah. You know? And then we've had on Ted from Death Angel. We've had on both Gumby and Tony from Battlecross. Richie Cavalera from Insight. trying to think of more thrash stuff. uh, Uh, There's got to be some out there, right? I don't know. But, you know, hey... You guys love Kirk Winstein. That's He's right. He's from Crowbar. Of course, he used to be in Down. Then we've had on Jimmy Bauer from Superjoint and Down and I Hate God. We had on Steven Taylor from Superjoint Super Joint as well. Then we've had on guys from Seven Dust. We've had on Gene Simmons and Bruce Kulik from the rock group Kiss. That's right. Kiss. We've had you know? on guys from Shine Down, <laughs> Saving Able, Great White, Warrant. King with a Y. There you go. Sons of Texas twice that's right the list goes on and on so get on soundcloud.com backslash thunder underground dig through there if you use itunes or google music mixcloud tune in all that stuff we're on all of them just search thunder underground we'll be the second selection probably under the ozzy song yeah. <laughs> yeah so look us up follow us like us on all that stuff share us with your friends it was an honor for him to name a song after our podcast, you know? That is true. You know, it's just such yeah. a great guy. Yeah, and the fact that Zach Wilde played on a song that is after our podcast. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, hashtag blessed. <laughs> That's true. We're blessed because David Elfson was here. Oh, definitely. That's right. That is <laughs> that is that is totally correct. BeatTheUnderground.com is a website. All the stuff's up there. We've got a new review up for a band called The Holy Warheads out of Michigan that Jason wrote, so check that out. This past episode we just had, we talked, and we had a review of the new Saxon album, Thunderbolt, which doesn't come out until February 2nd. That's right. But we got an advanced copy, so we got a review out on that. We also reviewed the new COC album, No Cross, No Crown. Yeah. And hey, we've got more stuff coming. Once again, neatthunderunderground.com. Facebook.com backslash Thunderdash Underground, or sorry, The Thunder Underground. I get all these things confused, but <laughs> if you just search Thunder Underground, you're going to find us on there, Instagram, Twitter. Also, listen to us every Monday night. 
1027WSNR.com, 7 p.m. Central. They got shows all week. We're the Monday night show. That's right. You, you did good. You can remember all that. I'd have to have it on a sheet of paper. You're <laughs> I did. Man. I did, I think, at first, but I just started <laughs> saying it so much that I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> all right, once again, thank you to Dave Elfson for taking the time out of his day to talk to us. Check out Screaming Red Mutiny and Locust Grove. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.